Welcome to the Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are lucky to have in the studio Elad Berenstein, the co-founder or founder and CEO of uh, Utrip. Uh, welcome to the show, Elad. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. For sure. So now, for people who don't know Utrip, which is spelled U-T-R-I-P, uh, tell us. Tell us about it, what it is, and how you came to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So at a high level, Utrip is a destination discovery and trip planning platform where we combine human experts like chefs, artists, historians, etc., with machine learning and artificial intelligence to make trip planning easy, enjoyable, and personal. Um, and at a high level, that's what we care about is how do we make trips you know, as personal as possible. And we're in the business of licensing those capabilities to hotels, airlines, cruise lines, et cetera, in order for them to be able to offer the same type of personalized experiences directly on their websites, Facebooks, and other places they interact with customers. So that's a great idea. So you, uh, you were inspired to create this, um, and this is sort of an AI-enabled, you know, you, what you do is you take the data and, you, and you, you learn about people and you learn about the preferences and then you're able to... Uh, Along with a bunch of other data about other people who, who desire similar experiences, you're able to build a help build an itinerary for somebody, give them insights into into where they're traveling to make their experience more delightful. Yeah, absolutely. So when a traveler comes to utrip.com or any of our 57 partner properties, they are able to indicate the places they're thinking about going and the dates or seasons they're thinking about going on, and then we give them 15 levers to play with. And they could say, I love art, but not history. They could say, I'm a foodie on a medium budget um, or any other type of information like that. And once we know their preferences and their desires, our AI creates 10,000 itineraries in one third of one second, beginning by looking at your interest and your budget, but then adding in hours of operation, seasonality, geography, diversity, and all these other factors that go into planning a trip that's unique and personal. And from there, we give you the top itinerary, the best of the 10,000 versions. And you get to go through and you get to lock things in place that you really want to do. You get to remove things you dislike and to give more information about yourself. And as you do this, the system is um, becoming more and more personal as it gets to know you better. So where do you gather the information from? Is it, is it user submitted or do you have uh, curators that, that find the best things? Like how, do you, how do you flesh out the, the content that people discover through the site? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a little bit of all of the above. So we've created a system that we call Snow Globe, which is our machine learning ecosystem, which is how we curate and maintain destinations. And Snow Globe, um, at a high level, uses a three-step approach to do so. So first is what I call the floodgates, and we work with Yelp and TripAdvisor and Zagat and the New York Times travel all the way down to, you know, your mom and pop blogs about great coffee shops in Seattle. And we bring all this content and all these recommendations in. The second step is we use machine learning processing to do two things. Um, first is to verify accuracy. So we look across addresses, phone numbers, emails, et cetera, all those things that are right or wrong to make sure we have the right information. And then we use natural language processing and other similar techniques to read through descriptions and ratings and accolades, et cetera, to better understand what type of people are going to enjoy this recommendation, going to enjoy this experience. And then the final step is where our humans get involved. So we both have a network of local experts. These are chefs, artists, historians, et cetera, who provide recommendations. But just as importantly, we have our users. And we've had um, over 2 million travelers who have used the U-Trip experience in order to plan trips. And every day they tell us what they like and what they dislike. And this continues to teach the system. So when we launch a city on day one, we think it's a really great start. But every single day after that, it gets better as more and more people use it. So do users rate their experiences after they've participated so that you know how a, per a person with a particular profile um, you know, reacts to the, to the things that you send them? 
Is that is that how the system learns? Or exactly. Us? So that's one of the learning mechanisms. So not only can a traveler rate the places they went, the restaurants, the attractions, the museums they went to, but they can also rate the trip as a whole. And they can give us meta-level feedback and say, you know, the pace was too high. It was hard to do all this stuff in a single day. Or, you know, we were so hungry after this hike that we needed to go to lunch early, whatever it may be. So not only can we learn about the venues themselves, but we can teach the algorithm how to make better itineraries over time. Yeah. So a lot of times it sounds like the AI stuff is pretty sophisticated. Like, is it... I'm I'm interested in in machine learning and AI uh, and and just kind of um, applications for it. It seems like it's powerful technology. I've I've used it for a few projects, um, but the the problem that I've always found is it's powerful powerful technology in search of things that need to be solved with it. Um, I'm curious to know, uh, you know, it, it's kind of um, uh, popular to to kind of try to try to layer AI or machine learning into a startup to give it a, a little bit of a of a sheen. Um, but it sounds like yours might go a little deeper than that. So do you, do you use AIs mostly for the recommendation piece of it? it? Or, or it also sounds like you might be doing some pretty detailed stuff in terms of the natural language processing and pulling data in from the web. Does your system ingest information from the web and make sense of it? Yeah, totally. And I'm as guilty as everyone else out there in using the term AI and machine learning as if it's like one thing. And obviously anyone who knows anything about it knows that AI really, there's a whole bunch of different types of artificial intelligence and a whole bunch of different tools within the machine learning toolkit to use. Um, so we do. So we use a, now, a number of things, a number of tools in order to not only understand the destinations in a meaningful way and to understand how they change. Obviously, we know that cities are these living, breathing things that change over time but also to be able to make recommendations to create itineraries that are intelligent. And like I said before, it's not only about finding things you want to do that fit your budget, which is important on its own, but it's also about putting them together into an itinerary that makes sense. We've all been on trips where we've tried to pack way too much stuff in or zigzagged all the, our way all across the city in a day. We try to make sure that we take care of all these things um, through the artificial intelligence and leave kind of that serendipitous discovery to the traveler themselves, which is, I think, the part of trip planning um, that people actually enjoy. And one example I like to use when I describe our machine learning, and it's imperfect, right? It's a work in progress like any startup. Um, but one of the things that we're really proud of is the way that our machine learning is able to try to distill meaning from reviews and ratings. So I'll give you an example. If we look at a specific restaurant and we read a review and says, this restaurant sucks for families, our machine learning is smart enough that usually it's going to be able to pick up on the fact that not only did you say there was something wrong with this restaurant, sucks being a negative word, but also that you qualified that by saying it sucks for families, which maybe then means that it's perfect for couples or perfect for business lunch um, or something like that. So our machine learning is trying to find these nuances that people leave in their, in their words and their reviews and to make meaning of that so we can make better recommendations. That's fantastic. I think you mentioned earlier to me that, that your father was a, an AI um, scientist or, or technologist, um, and and uh, and that I, I think you may be helping helping on some of this stuff. So it sounds like you've got you've got you've got access to some pretty pretty good resources. He's so tell us about his background. He he worked yeah. in AI back before, before AI had its cool. resurgence, right? Exactly, exactly. So I grew up in Israel, um, and my dad did two things there. One, he was designer of power grids, um, you know, so big power lines. Typically, he focused on high voltage, long distance. And second, he designed AI machine learning algorithms that would self-diagnose 
problems or, or deficiencies in the power grids that he was overseeing. Um, and that was really where I got my introduction to predictive technology, to artificial intelligence, et cetera. And back then, this is, you know, really the late 80s, early 90s, I remember asking my dad why AI wasn't available to normal people. Um, and he gave me lots of answers that went way over my head um, about why that was the case. But he always said that there would be a day where every person would have an AI assistant, you know, maybe Siri that actually works well. Um, and, but, but that's where my fascination came from, the desire to be able to bring AI into everyday situations. And then as a teenager, I moved to the United States and my dad joined a startup in Spokane, Washington, where they were using some really interesting predictive technology to actually design power lines and power grids. And when I was 18, I came here to Seattle, um, continued to be really interested in artificial intelligence. But during grad school at UW, uh, my roommate was getting a PhD in psychology and introduced me to the whole research area of decision-making research, um, which is something I became incredibly fascinated by and, you know, how and why do we all make the decisions that we make? And really the genesis of U-Trip was after I took a trip to Europe with a good buddy of mine after grad school, and I decided to combine those two things, to combine the decision-making psychology to help us understand the type of experience travelers want to have with predictive technology, AI, and machine learning to actually do all the heavy lifting of putting it together, not just identifying the things you want to do, but also doing those things like hours, geography, et cetera. Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds fascinating. Yeah, so tell us about – so I like to talk about business stuff because um, the business issues that you face are probably uh, universal and, and uh, lots of founders uh, face the same issues. I noticed that um, – so you, you created this site. It sounds like a couple years ago the site went up and there was this challenge, I, I imagine, of trying to f make people aware that it exists and, uh, and get people to visit the site and I, I suppose also um, you know start interacting with it. What were some of the, the – the plans or the mechanisms? How, how did you go about finding users when you, yeah. when you launched? Absolutely. I mean, we were, we, we fell into the same bucket that I think all first time entrepreneurs fall into, which is, you know, we thought if we had a really great product with some really great content, people would show up and they would love it. And needless to say, I think every entrepreneur can tell you that that's not how it actually works. Um, <laughs> You know, so we put up we put up the site. This is late 2012, um, and one of the things that we did is from the beginning we decided that we wanted to create original content for a lot of the recommendations that we made, and we kind of stumbled into being good at SEO not because we knew a hell of a lot about it, but it was really because we created content that was unique and special um, and that was rich, and because of that, the we were rewarded by by the Google bots and others, and we had over a hundred thousand travelers pushed into our experience during the beta period, which was a really awesome test group to use the product um, and to be able to give us feedback both about the user experience, but also to give more training data to the algorithms. You know, anyone who knows anything about AI knows that it's only as good as the training data that you give it. Um, so it was able to give us a lot of data to make our AI better. Um, but we learned, you know, the hard way, the driving traffic was incredibly difficult. Our friends at Google told us that travel is considered to be the third most expensive industry um, to drive traffic on the web for. And we realized that we were never going to be able to compete at that game with the TripAdvisor and Expedia's and the other giant players that exist in our industry. And it was around that time 
that we got a small number of calls and emails from small hotel chains, small airlines, cruise lines, et cetera, who wanted to license the technology. And this really, you know, late 2014, early 2015. And we went back to these folks and spent about six months trying to understand why they reached out to us and what opportunities they saw and why they wanted to partner or to use our technology in some fashion. And that's where we came up with Utrip Pro, which is really the core of our business today. And we realized that instead of having to drive all this traffic ourselves and to do the really hard, really expensive work of aggregating an audience, we could partner with people who already had an audience, who already had people coming to their sites on a daily basis, and to provide an experience they wanted. All of our B2B partners, you know, that have something to sell, obviously are in the business of selling that something, a hotel room, a flight, whatever it may be, but they all want to have a relationship with their customers that isn't about transactions, but is rather about travel experience. It's about the things that we dream about um, when we decide we want to go on a trip. And they believe that the Utrip experience could help them do that. And that's really where the genesis of Utrip Pro came from. So in terms of uh, of the, the business and, and monetization at this point, so do you... Do you sell that service to the hotels and the, and the travel providers um, directly, and and they pay you and they offer it for free to their customers, or do you do you, uh, exactly? Do you okay, yeah. I see. So Utrip is always free to the consumer, and that's something that's really important to us. Um, you know, because as I said, when we started this company, it was really about making personalized travel available to the masses. Um, so it's always free, and exactly like you said, we collect license fees from our B two B customers in order for them to use the product. That's great. One of the things I, I noticed about your site is, um, so when you arrive at the site, there's lots of great information that's available. First of all, before you log in, which I assume is great for SEO purposes. Um, so I, I, don't know, I was wondering if that was a conscious decision to try to move content before the the, the login, so that the that the bots and the and the, the, the spiders could find it. Um, that was the first question, I guess. So we'll just hit that one first. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So when I talked about those 100,000 users we got during that year of beta, most of those users came in the second half of that year. Um, when we made a change and we created what we call the external item page, um, which is kind of this boring internal name that we use um, for pages that were created in order to have SEO value. Um, and we opened those pages up before login, before requirements for any sort of uh, information to be put into the system, both for the bots uh, but also because we find that if you provide travelers or any customer value up front, they're more likely to dig deeper into the experience. So we found there's kind of a, a two for one there. Yeah, that's uh, makes makes perfect sense. The the other question I had was, it looks like at the top of your page, there's a link that says, what is Utrip in 30 seconds? And when you click it, there's like a, a video that pops up. And I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about that video and, and sort of what the, the um, whether you find that people interact with it a lot. One of the things I noticed about it was it's very genuine. It's, it's, you open the video and it's, and it's you uh, talking to the camera. It looks, you know, it doesn't, it's not um, maybe purposefully. So not, you know, super polished the way you would see like a corporate type video. And um, you know, it seems like the, the kind of uh, thing that, that a lot of founders would, would maybe want to do. Um, so I don't know. Tell me about that video, yeah. why, why you did it, how you did it, um, and whether it seemed to, to have an effect or people do a lot of people look at it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think your observation is, is, is spot on. Um, that video was made, you know, one day we decided that we wanted to have a, a way to communicate with our travelers better. Um, and I wanted to be the person communicating with them. And literally one of our curators said, I've got a pretty decent video camera at home. He brought it in the next day and we just shot it sitting on a desk in our office. Um, what we found is that about a third of our users engage with video. Um, and typically they really like that authentic um, 
feel. The fact that it's not, you know, highly polished, highly produced video. It's really just me talking to them about why I started UChip and what I love about travel and why I think personalization is so important. Um, but I think it's important to note that as we look across our traveler base, our user base, only about a third engage with these videos. We have a little less than a third that engage with the written content, so the about us or other types of explanations we've put there. And we've got a little bit more than a third um, who are tinkerers. Um, and really don't want to be told exactly what to do, especially at first. Maybe they come back to the video later on, um, but really just want to come in and begin to play with levers and push them buttons and see what happens. And we think it's really important to be able to give a different type of experience to, to different types of travelers or users based on the way that they like to interact and they like to learn. The other thing I'll just mention real briefly is I think that concept of authenticity um, is incredibly important in everything we do, and I think if we look, you know, at kind of a macro level view of our culture, um, I think, you know, if we look at Airbnb, the thing that's made them most successful was not the really nice UI and UX, which they do have really nice sites and really nice experiences, but I think it's the, the encapsulation of their understanding of this with the, the one-liner of travel like a local, even if only for a night. Um, and I think that that, you know, that, that phrase that Airbnb uses captures people's imagination in a way that is perfectly timed, which I think is why we're see, they're seeing such success. And similarly in Utrip, what we find is that when we highlight tips, recommendations, but actual tips of what to do there from our experts and from our users, those get some of the most engagement interaction of any of the experiences we have on Utrip because they're genuine and they're real and they're authentic. And that's what we try to do with the video. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I've got so we launched uh, uh, this website that I've been working on for a year. It's finally out. If people are listening, it's it's at holistrio.com. It's a meditation and and um, mindfulness uh, subscription service website um, based on some work that we've been doing for a bunch of years. Um, me and my my business partner. But so that's out, and so so I'm I'm the reason why these these questions are coming up is because I'm facing all of these these challenges that uh, that I never had when I was doing mobile apps. Um, in the mobile app world, the the eyeballs kind of show up for free, and when they show up, they they see your app, they can use it for free, and if they like it, they can buy a paid version. It's that it's all very like cookie cutter. It's, it's, there's a very easy path to to, to trod. Um, in the web world, you know, I'm starting to find, you know, just how difficult it is to get people to show up at the website. And then when they get there, you know, sometimes it's because we paid them to come there through Google. Uh, you know, when, what, do, what do they need to find when they get there so that you can maximize that money you spent to have them show up? And, um, and so we thought about videos and we've recorded a few of them ourselves kind of on the, on the cheap. And, um, and our thinking was, um, you know, we have these things we want to say on video. We think video is kind of engaging. We know what we want to say. Uh, let's just get get it recorded and up. And if if it turns out that it's working and people like it, we'll record it again and we'll just do it better. But but like, why would we wait? You know, to spend money and time on on creating the perfect video when we could do um, when we could at least test the messaging out with one that we did on our own. And and it turns out you can make a pretty good video on your own without you know professionals. Um, you know, if, if if depending on what you're going for, but if if you're looking for that genuine look, I think it's a good approach. Um, yeah, I, I, totally thought, I thought you did a nice job. Nice job with it. That's kind of why I called it out as a, a kind of a nice example of how to do that. Yeah, thank you. And I think your early adopters not only don't mind the lack of polish, but often actually like the like lack of polish and the authenticity that comes from you know a young company with a couple founders just trying to make it work. 
Yeah, that's that's kind of what we're going for. Um, you know, that's part of the the allure. We want people that come to our site to feel like they're really funding this thing. That if they don't, you know, literally, if they don't use it, if they don't subscribe to it, it probably won't exist. Um, you know, they should. It's it's not a, a Kickstarter kind of a thing, but it's we want people to feel like they're part of a community that's funding the ongoing creation of this content. Um, and uh, and in, in you know not not having an overproduced video or, or or spending money unnecessarily on things, I think that helps them understand that their you know their money's going toward building the content that they're buying, not the not the marketing. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it looks like you've you've um, you've built something really nice here. Uh, tell me, uh, how did you how did you fund it all? Um, I know you've got you've got um, you know you're working on it, and and it's been several years. Did you guys do a round of financing, or how how have you been funding the, the project? Yeah, so we've done a couple rounds of financing. Um, when we first started, it was really just a few thousand dollars that each of the three founders were able to put together um, just to build, you know, the most basic prototype. You know, and when I say basic, it's like basic, basic. There's inputs without really any outputs. Um, but we built this really basic prototype so we can collect some data about the way travelers wanted to interact with the trip planner. Um, and once we had the data, we went out, we raised um, a small angel round here in Seattle from, from almost all local angel investors in town. Um, and this really is what allowed us to build the initial product to do that beta experience I spoke about before. Um, and once we, we kind of stumbled into the Utrip Pro model, into our B2B2C model, which is really the core of our business today, we went out and did a larger um, investment round um, with angels, with some angels and funds here in Seattle, as well as some angels and funds down in the Silicon Valley area, um, in order to be able to take the next step towards growth. That's great. Did you find, um, I don't know how you found that process. I don't know if it helps that you're in the travel space and that it, that's kind of a people, at least in Seattle, there's been lots of success in the travel space. So I feel like it, you, you might have a receptive audience that understands how your business fits into that, that ecosystem. Um, I mean, totally. did you find, did you find that helped? Um, I would say it both helped and hurt um, in the sense that, you know, most people are pretty far removed from the business of travel, but basically everyone has been a consumer of that industry. You know, some of us have traveled the world and some of us, you know, haven't traveled very often, but basically everyone has taken at least one or two trips somewhere in their life. Um, and that's one of the things that makes fundraising for travel a little bit challenging is because the one thing that everyone knows is how noisy and crowded the travel space is. Um, and they don't always know, you know, how lucrative it is and, you know, how, how much in desperate need of, of innovation some of the biggest players in the industry are. Um, so I think it both helped and hurt being in the travel space just because everyone could relate, um, which, like I said, is a double-edged sword. That's terrific. Well, um, yeah, Joe, what, any thoughts on, on, uh, on this stuff from, a, from your perspective? Oh, I don't think so, but I super appreciate you having on the show, having it, ha coming on the show, Elon. It's, it's super, super fun to have you here. If people want to check out um, Utrip, just go to utrip.com. And um, you can also follow them on Twitter at utrippers. I think it's utrippers. And, uh, and I'm going to, I've, I've started to use it and I'm going to, I'm going to train the machine. I think actually one thing that's really fascinating about your, about your business is training the AI algorithms is critical and you're getting all that great training data from, from your B2B partners, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, Because how else do you train it? I mean, that's one of the tricks of AI. And Mike could have talked talk about this on the show too, is, well, it's, it's, you've got to have a lot of data to train the, to 
train that machine learning, right? And it's important that that data comes from a variety of sources and a variety of people. If everyone that's training your algorithm has the same type of interest and, and, and go about planning trips in the same way, you're going to have a much more limited recommendation set, much more limited knowledge. So one of the strengths of our B2B2C model is that each one of our 57 B2B partners um, have different type of customers that are interacting with it in different ways, and that gives our algorithms even more data and even more diversity to learn from. It's great stuff. I really uh, appreciate you being on the show. This has been a great conversation. Um, folks should check out utrip.com if they want to plan a trip or just find out more about the company. And um, and thanks for being on. This has been a, a, a great episode. Thanks, everyone else, for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks a lot.